happiness arising from within. In this discourse given to a class in 2019, Shakti Durga explores the topic of self-arising happiness and self-compassion and what might be possible if you practice mindfulness and learn to manage that voice in your head. Enjoy. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. Let's just have a look at the way happiness happens. And in a hedonistic happiness model, things have to be right on the outside. Things have got to be pretty perfect for me to be happy. I'm happy when I've just got a new car. I'm happy when I just bought a whole lot of new clothes. I'm happy when I just won something. But then what happens is my happiness tends to depend upon those things keeping on happening. And if they don't keep on happening regularly and often, then my happiness just disappears altogether. And so therefore, hedonic happiness is regarded as a treadmill where there's always a carrot dangled in front of our nose urging us to something out there that will make me feel happy. In this model, people are always off after the next big hit of happiness. You know, yay, what's going to make me feel good? Yay. And what's going to take away the pain? Whoa, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Have another drink. You know, have have some cigarettes, eat some chocolate, do something, get rid of that pain, distract yourself, overuse entertainment, overuse whatever it is, just so that you don't have to feel anything negative. Also in this model, as I said before, we're seeking gain or accomplishment to drive our happiness. And as I say, it's, it's external to us. And then there's this other model of how to be happy. And this is where the research is. And it's been very interesting to see this research develop since I've been on a spiritual path. And it's based on human flourishing, the word for which eudaimonia is used to describe a form of happiness that arises from within us. It's not driven by externals, it's self-arising. What they've found in scientific research is that eudaimonic happiness arises out of these sorts of things, personal growth, for instance, Self-love and acceptance, feeling that you can be authentic, that you can honestly self-express, you know, honest self-expression, positive relationships and having a sense of purpose. And that these are the things that underlay the feeling of flourishing that, as I say, there's a whole branch of psychology now just devoted to this. And this is a um, very wise man, he's been dead for a while now. Victor Frankl, who said, what man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. Don't you think that's nice? It's not about the discharge of tension at any cost. It's not just about what's going to make me feel good now. It's about finding a potential meaning. So that means we're always kind of on a journey. So this is what the father of this modern psychology came up with as giving rise to this state of self-arising happiness. And he wrote a book 
way back in 2011. So positive emotions for feeling good. So knowing how to uh, manage your emotions really having engagement with life and finding yourself in a flow where you're feeling engaged, having authentic connections in relationships, having a sense of achievement and accomplishment, and finding meaning or a purpose for your existence. And so these five categories, when we have all of these, we tend to be a person who has self-arising happiness. And when these conditions are fulfilled, there's less need for external validation. And in these self-arising things, we tend to find that these things that we looked at before tend to fade because instead of it being about that, it's about these other things. So when we're on the treadmill, the treadmill of hedonistic happiness, and we're after all of that, that's when we have to control everything. That's when we, we're seeking approval, bloody blah, blah, whereas this is a completely different model. So I'd like to take you through some research of Christian Neff, who wrote a PhD on self-compassion, how to be your own best friend. And the research she came up with was fascinating because of the benefits that she did research to, you know, she found the benefits of self-compassion. And I'm going to go through what self-compassion is made out of, but first you might want to know why you might be interested in this subject. And she says that firstly, self-compassion promotes happiness. Well, that's a good aim in itself. Um, Eudaimonic happiness at that. Optimism, that we're able to maintain a healthier disposition, see the bright side of life. Life satisfaction, emotional intelligence and wisdom, positive body image, motivation, relationship skills. Well, there you go. We're at it now, aren't we? Self-compassion leads to relationship skills, relationship satisfaction as well, and emotional connection. And this is all because they've done all these studies. The number of studies they've done is ridiculous. Acceptance of others, self-respect, capacity for forgiveness, self-efficacy, personal initiative, curiosity, intellectual flexibility, resilience, and even immune function is better when we have this thing called self-compassion. Don't you think that's an astonishing list of things that can derive from one thing called self-compassion? So what is it? She says it has three elements and that this is relevant to us in our lives and in our relationships. The first one is self-kindness. And uh, I'll go on to talk about all three of these in just a moment, but self-kindness. Self-kindness is the cure for many maladies. And as we started talking about today, the voice that you hear speaking in your head, it starts there. The second one is common humanity, which means how do we take that kindness and then apply it to life all around us, to what's happening in other areas of our life, to what other people are doing, to be able to see what's going on for other people as well as ourselves. I'll come back to common humanity. And the third one was mindfulness. Kristen Neff comes from a kind of a Buddhist psychological background. She's used mindfulness as one of the tools in this self-compassion. So let's just have a little look at how each of these works. So kindness is something we all understand what kindness is. And I think that probably in a group like this, you'd probably find that there's more kindness in a group like this than maybe the average. 
because we're interested in self-development, we're interested in spirituality, we're interested in human relationships. So there's probably a natural tendency towards kindness already. But what about self-kindness? That often gets, you know, behind the door when we're giving out kindness. It's like we don't give it to ourselves as much as we give it to other people. So there's this other blob of research done in 2006 that said that um, people who did certain acts of kindness for a period of 10 weeks reported higher levels of self-acceptance, self-evaluation, happiness and subjective well-being and lower levels of stress and negative effect. So that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Just from 10 weeks of doing something else that's a bit kind for others. So imagine what it would be like if we're kind to ourselves. So she defined self-kindness as being understanding and caring towards ourselves and knowing that everyone has times when they blow it so that you're going to make mistakes and you might as well not get too upset about it. Just get on with it. So it's kind of simple stuff, being kind to yourself. And one of the ways that I like to focus on this, and I've done a lot of this over the years, is just looking at what is that voice inside my head doing and challenging it if it gets out of line. Because I wouldn't really speak that way to others and I would not appreciate if others spoke to me that way. And yet inside my head, sometimes is going on a conversation, you just think, oh my God, that's just ridiculous. So changing that in a dialogue, I think, is the bedrock of self-kindness. And when we do that, then what happens is our vibration changes. So what we're actually beaming out to the world is going to start to be different just by this one thing. If you get nothing else out of today, other than looking at what the voice in your head is saying. Um, Everyone hears voices in their head. I've never met anyone who doesn't hear the voice of your own thoughts in your head. But to know that you can challenge it and say, hang on a minute, that's not right, that that's a healthy thing to do. Hang on, that's not right. And then say what you want to say about it. No, 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 no. And find something positive about yourself and say that so that you're sort of having a conversation in your head There's an antagonist and there's someone who's trying to protect you (laughs) and the antagonist will say negative stuff, but you've just got to answer them back and say, no, that's not right. So be assertive with that voice in your head. Don't take rubbish from it. Say, no, that's not it. I found that when you do that consistently for a while, it does give up and it does change, but we, we just have to do it. Common humanity. So they said that when you just apply self-kindness without common humanity, what can happen is people can become narcissistic, you know, (laughs) that you just become, it's all about me and uh, not that interested in what's happening for anybody else. But when you combine it with common humanity, it's a different scenario. So this is where the same courtesy is given to others as you would give to yourself to say that no one's perfect. No one's perfect and they're not going to be. And that if our perfectionist stuff is coming up around other people, then we've got to look at that, that that's arising from hedonistic happiness models. That's not arising from flourishing models, that perfectionism is not part of flourishing. Searching for meaning is part of flourishing. So where do I find meaning? How do I give this situation meaning? So I think um, knowing that whatever we're going through, we're not alone is part of this, that other people are suffering the way we are, other people have problems like we are, and that we are actually normal even when we feel like we're broken, you know, that we're okay. It's all right, we're okay. 
And one of the ways I like to use this common humanity part is, for instance, if you see someone out in public and they're doing something and you're just completely judgmental about what they're doing, is to broaden the aperture of the lens through which you're looking. And this is one of the tools I use to try and have compassion for other people. If I just look at this isolated event of what that person is doing, then I'm likely to be very judgmental. For instance, I remember this time when I didn't have my children with me at the time, but I I, I saw this mum in a supermarket and she was screaming at her child and just berating the child in a way that was absolutely terrible. And I got extremely indignant and, you know, what it's like, you're just very critical. Bloody woman, what's she doing? You know, do I have to call docs? That kind of thing. And then I found myself going into this real clench and dislike thing. And I thought, well, hang on, I don't even know this woman. And then I suddenly had this spark of inspiration around what that woman's life is like. And I felt just instinctively that she hadn't slept for a long time and that she was in a very abusive relationship and that she was at her wit's end. She was beyond where a a mortal should be pushed and that this was not necessarily her habitual way of being, but she just snapped in the moment because sleep deprivation is something that makes even a normal sane person insane. And if you don't think sleep's important, try going without it for a long time and you'll find that (laughs) it's pretty crucial. So when we just look at this behavior in the supermarket for that lady, then my place, my go place is judgment and my, my perfectionist nature comes up and says, that's not good enough. I don't like you. I, I can't like you because you're not perfect. But if I bring my lens outwards, I can say, and in the circumstances, I can have compassion for where you might find yourself right now. Do you see what I mean? And in this way, you can soften your heart to people in a way that you can't if you're just stuck on the blip of what you're not seeing as perfect. And this model sort of says, well, everyone's got their good bits and their bad bits. It's not for a moment trying to say that you don't have to take action in some circumstances should it be required but it's, it's saying with what energy are you going to do it? If you do have to insert a boundary like a police officer does or someone, you know, needs to put boundaries in place, then if you can do it with compassion but still be firm in your boundaries, you're probably going to do a better job, be more successful and get less pushback from the other person anyway. Because I've found that when you speak to people with a whole bunch of judgment on board, what happens? They get really defensive, don't they? The minute you start judging people, they get super defensive. And so even if they're patently wrong in what they're doing, if we're judging people, they're going to get defensive and they're going to try and argue that black is white and that they're right and you're wrong. It just is a fact of life. So using this common humanity thing, coming, stretching out into having more compassion, if we're having a relationship with someone and we're coming at a point we need to discuss with judgment, we're just going to entrench the problem bigger than it already is. It just is the way that it is. And for me, I like to think of this as it's not just about getting this problem solved. Let's broaden this out to I actually am seeking self-illumination. I'm seeking lightness. I'm seeking to be one with my higher soul as well. So it's not in my higher soul's agenda for me to have this judgmental, critical, 
loggerheads, two rams butting each other with their horns. That's not coming from my higher soul. When that happens, I start to recognize that I'm just coming from my ego. Ah, right. So I'm bringing my ego into this relationship and wondering why the other person's being so egoic, you know? (laughs) And so this is just something to look out for. Ah, interesting. And to notice when we're doing that and that the way out, says the research, is to go into this compassionate place. So you still have to have the discussion. You still got to talk about it. You still have to say what needs to be said and remembering the four positions that people have when they're scared. They're either going to want to get it done, get it right, get approval or get along. Yeah, one of those four. They're going to want one of those. So when you've got your side of the street cleared, when you can get out of your judgment and into your compassion, you're more likely to be able to use simple communication strategies by which you'll be able to talk to that person. Particularly important with close relationships. It's particularly important in long-term relationships where we can get a little bit in habits and ruts and you know what I mean, don't you? But this is always about you, your higher soul, and you coming into compassion as understanding that you're bringing your higher soul into the relationship. So that's a good motivator for me anyway. So as I said, expanding out what else might be going on for that person as a basis for holding non-judgment and then, yeah, what they really might be looking for. Then The last thing is mindfulness. And so mindfulness means self-awareness, emotional acceptance, non-judgment and being with ourselves. Has anyone ever done any extreme sports like surfing or skiing? Yep, some of you have. Well, have you noticed how when you're doing those things, you have to be completely mindful? Because if you don't, you could die, you know, or you could fall over and crack your neck or something. So when you're in extreme sporting situations, you tend to be quite mindful. And I think that's why a lot of people like to do it, because you just get this complete focus and this complete centeredness through your being and there's only that there's only this mountain I'm skiing down there's only this whatever it is rapids god knows why people would do that rapid stuff I think that looks (laughs) so scary but um yeah so people who practice sports kind of understand at at a high level know about this mindfulness thing I'm talking about and so for us it's like let's be mindful in other times in the workplace in our relationships because it brings us to be healthier, happier, and more productive as people. And I think this is a good check. Am I being mindful? Are you making assumptions? We make assumptions all the time. And an example of an assumption is you should know what I want. That's an assumption. So that's not mindfulness. Catastrophizing. Who's been around people who catastrophize? It's a two out of 10 problem and before you know it, when, when they've talked about it, it's like a 10 out of 10 problem and you're thinking, God, this problem's going to never go away. And so what people do is they put so much energy into the problem and that's not being mindful. Being dismissive of people, again, not mindfulness and black and white in judging people or situations. So any of these things, if we're being black and white, he's a good person, he's a bad person. If we're totally black and white, we're not going to have accurate perception anyway because nobody is black or white. Nobody is all good and nobody's all bad. So for us to have those nuances and shades is much more likely to be mindful and good outcomes for us in life. 
one of the ways we can practice mindfulness, mindfulness really just means have my mind on what's going on around me. What am I doing right now? Oh, there's my foot on the carpet. I'm wearing green trousers. You know, it's being present. It's having your mind and your body in the same place at the same time instead of, you know, driving your car and planning your dinner. That's not mindful. Mindfulness is where's the car going? Where am I right now? How am I feeling? A tool for this is gratitude. Gratitude is of itself something that's a tool for relationships and leads to greater optimism, enjoyment of life, joy, enthusiasm, better physical health, determination. It improves one's attention span and gives pro-social motivation, desire to help others. It also lowers the cortisol in your body. They can actually test that in your blood, that just being grateful changes the stress hormone, switches it down. So it's like, well, that's one way to be mindful. I can be grateful for all the good things. When I apply this to relationships, what I try and do is be grateful for something about the person even when I'm mad at them. You know, when you're really cross and when they've just done something to upset you, instead of going into that catastrophizing place, I go into the, and what do I have to be grateful about that person place? And it's kind of like mental gymnastics that requires a bit of strength to do, you know, but I'm in relationship with me too. I'm in relationship with my own responses to this situation. And I want to remember, it's not just about them. It's my side of the street. What am I going to do so that my side of the street isn't compromised by someone else having a bad day and not being very skillful? So how do I keep my side of the street good in this situation? Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com.